Yo, what is good guys? It is Nath, aka the Boston Brit. Now I am back with a brand new episode of the pod this week. Now I apologise. I apologise for being absent and vacant on the podcast scene. You know, I've probably been as active as Donald Trump has been on Twitter recently and it's not been good enough. Now, hope you guys enjoy this episode. So this episode was recorded before the season started. So we're going to discuss a little bit about the draft, etc. But anyway, guys, it's going to have a little bit of language in it. So once again, if you're not into that kind of stuff, probably best you turn it off. But anyway, guys, hope you enjoy it. Let's go. Tatum drives George right there. Tatum gets a wide open look. And knocks it down. Jason Tatum ties the game. Watch out for the three. There he goes. It's blocked by Tice. Brown for the tie. good guys it is your boston brit i am back with a brand new episode of the that uk Celtics podcast and i've got a brand new co-host today now he is a celtics fan so it's good to have a celtics fellow celtics fan on the pod with me it's part of the nba uk community he's well known over at double clutch as well it's mr josh coin josh how are you doing mate I'm very good, thank you. Um, obviously, just uh, furiously trying to keep up with everything as everyone is at the moment. But thank you very much for having me during the uh, wildest time of the year, Nath. And uh, it's a pleasure to be joined by a uh, Celtics media linchpin. Uh, yeah, 100%. And that is going to lead me straight on to introducing our guest. Now, if you follow the Celtics, you will know who this guy is. He does a lot of work. He, well, basically, he is MrCeltics.com. He is a courtside reporter as well. And he's interviewed... Countless legends. Um, it is Mr. Mark D'Amico. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Late night last night for the draft, but uh, you know we're looking forward to seeing what happens in free agency. And more importantly, am I the first person to be a guest with you two together? Oh yeah, that's it. Basically, what I'm doing. I mean, doing... come on. I couldn't <laughs> ask for anything more. Well, what I'm doing. So what I'm doing this year, like in this part of the pod, is trying to get some UK community like co-hosts on. Uh, just trying to get everyone involved and so happens to be that we've got I've got a fellow Celtic with me today which is awesome super exciting so you know this this podcast is really just to kind of get to know as many people from the Celtics community as possible really and and other other stars obviously you know I've had Gordon on Vinny and Sam um, Kyle Drapes has been on as well and now we've got yourself so the one question I always ask them and it kind of is the pod topic really is you know how you got into basketball but the one thing we do need to talk about first before we get into the fun and games is about the legend himself Mr Tommy Heinsohn. Yeah Mark I mean you know thinking about Tommy is such uh, sad news recently such a major loss to the Celtics community as a whole but um, what are some of your fondest memories um, in dealing with Tommy you know such a legend to the team? Well I can tell you this my you know, I, I didn't really, really ever get too close to Tommy. Uh, but, you know, we sat and had some pregame meals together um, with a group of people, never really one-on-one. Um, but I just always enjoyed being around him regardless because he, the energy that you see and hear and feel from him when he's on television broadcasting a Celtics game is the exact same energy um, that you feel when you're just sitting down talking to him and he's not on TV. That's, that's literally just who he is. He may not be complaining about the refs 24-7 when you're having a, an off-camera conversation, but the same energy um, that he brings to the table and in, in passion for the game of basketball always comes through. I can say this about, about kind of, you know, I don't even know if I would call it a relationship, but just my interactions with him. I came to Boston in March of 2009, and I grew up a diehard New York Knicks fan, so I knew all of the legends of the New York Knicks and, and I, you know, I had a, a, a pretty good understanding of all of the teams around the league because I was just a hardcore NBA fan in general. But when I got to Boston, I heard of this guy, Tommy Heinsohn. And I'm like, I don't know who this man is. I've, I've never heard of him. I've, I've never watched a Celtics broadcast because I grew up in New York. 
I always watched the MSG network that the Knicks games were on. I had never witnessed a local broadcast of a Celtics game. So I just had no idea who Tommy Heinsohn was. And over the course of time, as I started to watch games on NBC Sports Boston, um, which used to be Com Comcast Sportsnet, I just came to realize who this guy was and how much he really loved the Boston Celtics. And like he, he bled it, he ate it, he drank it, he slept it. It was all his entire life was about the Boston Celtics. And, you know, over the course of time, I just learned how, how much of a significant role he has played in the organization. And then really just how historic of a human being he is in the NBA. One of only four people to be inducted to the, to the hall of fame um, for multiple reasons. He's probably going to be in there um, both, uh, you know, as a broadcaster as well, eventually. So, to be in there as a player, as a coach, and then as a broadcaster, he should be. Um, it's just unbelievable accomplishments. And, you know, it's been a tough week um, or so, you know, since, since his passing. And just, I mean, there were people in the front office when we had some meetings, some Zoom meetings over the course of the last week or so who were literally crying, um, talking about Tommy because they got so close to him and loved being around him so much. And, you know, it's, it's hard to come to the recognition that that's never going to happen again. I mean, that's, that's what's so crazy is that this generation that I guess uh, me and Nath, uh, are, you know, belong to in terms of Celtics fans will, you know, largely be most familiar with him as a broadcaster. You know, a lot of people know about his career, but don't really know just how much of a giant he was to the game. And that's long before he was saying some of the wildest stuff on television. Yeah, I mean, drafted into the Celtics and was a rookie with uh, Bill Russell. Um, and, and they went on to really accomplish so much together. And then um, after Bill Russell stepped aside from coaching, Tommy came in. And, you know, I think he won two championships with the team as a coach. And um, just, you know, to be able to accomplish that much um, and know that much about the game, um, to be able to be perform at such a high level on all three levels. We're talking about player, coach, and broadcasters it's really just a testament to who he was um and it's funny so i saw something yesterday came out that it was his notes from last year's draft night um and he actually had his list in order of who the celtics should draft at number 14 guess who was number one on his list romeo langford which is exactly who the boston celtics wow. chose so he he knows his stuff like it, it may seem on the broadcast like he's just a homer um, but that man knows the game of basketball. He's not, he's not just some old man who talks about it and doesn't really know what he's talking about. He, he, he always knew what he was talking about, and people listened to him behind closed doors. Absolutely. I mean, he, he, is, he is an ultimate legend. Him and Mike, you know, it's, I think for someone to step into Tommy's shoes, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, a, a big task, really. And, you know, whoever does it, I'm sure they're going to do a great job. But, um, yeah. So I can tell you right now, it's going to be Brian Scalabrini. <laughs> <laughs> well scout to be fair scout scout's a funny guy anyway isn't he so but yeah he's legendary in his own ways not 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 nearly the same as tommy but he's legendary in his own ways i think i think tommy i think with tommy it was just there was no there was i mean i, I wouldn't like to be on the other end of the earpiece kind of telling him you know <laughs> you can't say this you can't say that because oh my god he had no filter but it was amazing always and i think was, like, like josh said like every all of us fans, you know, we're, we're used to hearing Tommy. We're used to hearing Mike. You know, we're we're used to those guys, and it's you know we've grown up with them. You know, and like I've been a fan since two thousand and four. So, you know, growing up with with those guys, listening to them, it's 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 crazy to think that you know we we just I think I think we take life for for granted. I think you know we just think everyone's going to live forever, and it doesn't always work out that way. But sorry, Josh, you were going to say something. Yeah, Mark, would you say that um, Brian is about as partial as uh, Tommy? He's getting there, isn't he? He's almost there. He's trying to get there. I don't think he ever will, though. I don't, I don't think anyone ever could, uh, not only for the Celtics, but for any home broadcast team. He's, he's never going to be quite on that level. There'll never be another Tommy Heinsohn. Rest in peace, Tommy. So we'll move on to, to yourself now. Um, and, you know, the first question is, which is kind of what the series of the podcast is, you know, how... How did you get into basketball? Where did it all start for you? Started when I was young. I mean, um, I always loved playing the game of basketball. I mean, I can remember, I've got pictures back home of, of me and my buddies playing on, on basketball teams 
really from as young as I can remember back down to like seven years old, eight years old. And uh, I just always loved the game. Um, it, it wasn't my best sport growing up. My best sport was always American football, which is what I actually played collegiately. Um, but, but basketball was always my concentration that I loved the most. Um, so growing up, like I said, watching the New York Knicks, um, I was coming around right in that age time, the early to mid nineties, um, when Patrick Ewing and John Starks and, and all those guys, Charlie Ward, uh, were putting together teams that were competing with, um, Michael Jordan to, to try to win the Eastern conference and get into the NBA finals. And they got close a couple times. Uh, if you guys watched the last dance, the Knicks certainly were uh, a significant portion of that as kind of the enemy of, of, of uh, MJ and, and the Chicago Bulls. But that's really what got me in love with it. Um, and I used to, you know, I, I don't know if you guys do this in the UK, but when we're in kind of middle school and elementary school, more middle school, but they, they have school dances where, you know, all the, the boys and the girls can converge upon the school late at night late at night, it was probably like seven o'clock at that time, but you go and there's a DJ playing some music and you, you stare across the gym at the girls who are with the girls and you're over here with the guys. But I used to skip those and those were like important nights in middle school. I used to skip those so that I could stay home and watch opening night or an important game for the New York Knicks. That's how much it meant to me that I don't care about the social stuff with, in my middle school years when I'm growing up and, you know, know coming into my adolescence I was I, I wanted to watch the, the Knicks game so that's really when it all started for me and um, in high school I just decided hey this is what I want to do for a living I don't I want to work in the NBA in some way shape or form I always tell people especially when I, I speak to you know on podcasts or to, to college um, classes I always say if I could have gotten an internship scrubbing the toilets at, at TD Garden or Madison Square Garden in New York I would have done it because I would have been working in the NBA uh, but fortunately, you know, things broke a little bit better for me in the long run. I wound up getting an internship out of college with the Orlando Magic. I was down there for a year, the year that they went to the NBA Finals. Um, and that season, I, I left Orlando in March, and I came up to Boston, and I've been here ever since for the last 12 or so years. Can't you kind of, you can be fair, you kind of answered a couple of the questions anyway, but... Well, I can go in more depth if you want. If you, <laughs> yeah. if you want so to like in, terms of, in terms of your, you know, your first memory, like, you know, whether it's going to uh, the garden with your dad, watching a game, like what, what, was the, what was your first experience, like, fully as a basketball fan? Well, favorite versus first are very different. Yeah. Um, my first that, that is kind of vivid in my mind is my family took me out um, to, you know, we were kind of from a small town in, in, in New York State, um, and they took us out to dinner, uh, my brother and I, at a restaurant in one of the bigger cities nearby and it was a hibachi restaurant where they kind of cook the food right in front of you and cut it up and flip it and whatever you know right at the table and I remember it was so cool you know sitting at the table while they were doing it this but all I was thinking about in my head was what's going on in the Knicks game right now it was a playoff game I think they might have been playing against Michael Jordan and uh, the Chicago Bulls I don't remember what year it was but I asked my dad, dad, is there a TV anywhere in this restaurant? Um, and, you know, they're making the food right in front of us. I'm like, dad, I don't, I don't care about this. I want to go watch the game. So he said, let's go. And he told my mom, we'll be right back. We were probably gone for a half hour, but we went out to the, the bar area where they had TVs all over around the bar. We were just standing there looking up, watching the game. Um, and that, that was, that's really, I, I must have been, seven years old at that time. I'm guessing this was happening in 92 or 93, something around there. Um, and I, I was very young. Uh, but I, I do remember leaving the table and saying, Dad, I got to go watch this game. This is an important game. And, and maybe if they lose this game, the season might end, whatever. But um, he, he brought me out to watch that for a little bit while everyone else was eating at the dinner table at the restaurant. My favorite memory, um, I would say for sure, Oh, there's two of them. One is the first time I got to Madison Square Garden um, because my parents used to not take us to see the New York Knicks in New York City because it costs so much money to go to New York and to buy tickets for Madison Square Garden. We actually lived kind of close to Toronto um, in Canada. So instead of going to New York City, we would actually go to Toronto to watch the Knicks play in Toronto. And it was way cheaper. Um, the American dollar is worth more than the Canadian dollar. So it's just an easier path 
for us to do it. So um, this one time we actually stayed at, at the time it was the Air Canada Center, um, which is where, um, actually no, at that time it was the Sky Dome, which, which is where the Toronto Blue Jays played and the, the Toronto Raptors played as well. And we actually stayed in a hotel at the stadium. Um, we could actually watch the games from our hotel room. It was really cool. Uh, but, and then I got to go down and I was pretty close to the court at one point. I got to yell to Patrick Ewing, who was, you know, one of my idols growing up and he looked and waved and I was like, did Patrick Ewing just wave to me? Like, I couldn't believe it. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's probably my, my best uh, memory from when I was young and really getting into this whole thing was just being able to go to that game and kind of make contact with the, with the NBA players for the first time in my life. Josh, have you, have you got any? Well, amazing formative kind of basketball memories. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we're gonna, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll say mine in a minute, but it'd be interesting to see what yours were as well. So mine, um, my, I've also, like Mark, I've got a first and, uh, you know, favourite, I guess. Um, the first basketball, I mean, I've, I've kind of hundreds of first basketball memories because um, I've talked about this quite a lot in like uh, my writing and stuff like that, is that um, I grew up, it's quite unique and niche to have um, basketball playing parents over here in the UK. Um, and uh, I, I did. My mum and dad both played, so I spent hundreds and hundreds of hours in kind of dusty gyms watching, um, you know, uh, amateur basketball. Um, but my first um, actual game I went to was actually at the Staples Centre. Um, I believe it was um, Easter Sunday, and it was Spurs versus the Lakers. I just happened to be uh, visiting someone in uh, Los Angeles, so I saw that, saw Kobe, I saw Duncan, Great way to see your first NBA game. Um, uh, but the favourite has to be during the Isaiah Thomas tenure of, uh, uh, of in the Celtics at the Garden. Um, he went back to back on two games I was at with unbelievable numbers. I think it was uh, 48 and 43 against the Pistons and the Raptors, I think he dropped. And then, um, then the Patriots that week won the unbelievable... Um, Super Bowl comeback uh, on the same day that I saw Paul Pierce have his last game um, at the Garden uh, as it came back as a clipper. So that week as a whole, I'm going to condense it and I'm going to cheat and I'm going to condense it all into one week and say that's my favourite basketball memory. Amazing, amazing. I mean, like for, for me, I think, I think it's quite hard to put, I mean, like my first, my first memory was um, Paul Pierce's shot over Al Harrington. I think that for me sold Paul Pierce to me in the Celtics. Like I was like, that video will never get old. That honestly, I could watch that, it a hundred million times. Yeah. I mean, that, that's probably my first like vivid kind of like memory. But I mean, like in terms of my first game, I actually went in 2000 and I think it was 11 or 12. Um, and I saw a buzzer beater. I mean, all, all I remember is, because over here we used to go into football games and things like that, and um, and it's, it's completely the atmosphere is completely different. Like it's so hard to explain, but the atmosphere at a football, like a soccer football match, mm-hmm. to a basketball game, it's just I can't I can't describe it. But you know, being in TD, fully packed out, loud as hell. I literally I didn't know what I'd walked into. I was like, Jesus, is this what it's like? Like, is this is this really what it's like? And for me, it was, it, was just, it was just a great experience all around. Plus, I've got a bucket of chicken with fries. So, I mean, you can't, can't go wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> and the food has gotten even better at TD Gardens since then. So, <laughs> I can attest to that for last year. I, I had some of the best nachos I've had in my life from the TD Garden. I couldn't believe it. It was way beyond the level you expect from arena food. Put it that way. Yeah, they, re- they redid the whole arena and they're upgrading everything and the food is definitely a part of that. They definitely upgraded the food. I do want to say this. My best Celtics memory, uh, since this is, we're talking Celtics here, my best Celtics memory in this, I will never forget this. I'll tell my kids about it. I tell, I'll tell their kids about it, um, God willing. The moment I walked into TD Garden to cover my first NBA Finals game, it was like an out-of-body experience because I just couldn't believe that that little boy who used to skip dances in middle school to watch Knicks games and, and that little boy who, who grew up and in college or in high school said that he wanted to work in the NBA 
I just could not believe that I had made it to the point where I was being paid to work at an NBA and cover an NBA finals game. I just, it really took me by surprise and like hit me pretty hard when I walked into the arena for that game. And this was uh, back in 2010. Um, And you know, when you walk into the arena, one thing that the NBA does, the NBA takes over the whole arena for the NBA finals. And this year in particular, they had giant ice sculptures of the Celtics logo and the Lakers logo. Um, and they were kind of right next to each other, basically saying these are the teams that are facing off. And I walked in and, and I saw these giant ice sculptures and I was like, where, how has my life taken me to, to me, like this moment where I'm, I'm actually working this? It's just unbelievable. That hit me hard, and I'll never forget that. Um, tough way to end that series. We, we were about six or seven minutes away from a title, but um, I'll still never forget that experience of walking in that arena for that first game. Yeah, I mean, I could only imagine. I think that's quite a lot of kids, you know, quite a lot of uh, people, especially me and Josh, like, you know, we would. I think we'd uh, we'd do. I'd chop off my left leg to do that. To be honest with you, I went to too many dances, Mark. I went to too many dances. (laughs) Well, maybe I went to too many dances in the long run because my actual dream was to be playing in that game. But that's certainly I was nowhere near that. I couldn't jump high enough. I couldn't run fast enough, and I certainly couldn't make a jump shot. Well, clearly you found a nice balance of dance to uh, work ratio. I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) So we're talking about your career a little bit. Obviously, you kind of mentioned previously that. You know, you started off as an internship with the, with the Magic, you know, talk us through going from working for the Magic and then coming up and working into the Celtics, you know, what, what were the big differences, you know, what was that journey like for you? Uh, it, it'd be interesting to kind of hear from you know, your perspective because yeah. not many, not many people are going to ever get that opportunity to work, you know, for an organization like the Celtics or like the Magic or anything like that. So what, what is it like? Yeah, it was, it was a wild process for me because I had, just graduated from college and I had applied to so many internships. Um, Some of them paid, some of them not paid. And then I applied for some other full-time jobs and the magic are the ones who called me back and really wanted me. So um, hopefully you guys have a pretty good understanding of the layout of the, of the, the geography in the United States, but I was living in New York state, um, you know, about four hours from, from New York city drive. And I had to jump in my car and move down to Orlando without knowing a single person in Orlando. And I wasn't going to be making much money, but it was my my way to get my foot in the door um, to working in the NBA. So I dropped everything about a week after I graduated from college. I jumped in my car, drove down to Florida, uh, moved into a house with people I didn't know. I, I started to go to work with people I didn't know. And I Literally, I'm, I'm a pretty social person, and I certainly was at that point and coming out of, out of college and everything. I was used to having a social life, and I didn't have one. I, didn't have, I literally didn't have any friends. Um, and it, the weirdest thing was that I came in, um, the, the Orlando Magic internship program runs from, I think it's like June or July to the next June or July. And I actually came in in May, the beginning of May that year. Uh, because the person in my position had left early. Well, I, so I came in during the final one or two months of the internship people who had been working together for 10 or 11 months at that point. And they were like, who is this guy? Right. And then the next group came in and they actually thought I, w- I was a full-time staffer because I was already working there when they all started. So I was kind of this weird in between, uh, but, you know, working there was great. And, you know, it was, it was much more of kind of a friendly or yeah, a friendly atmosphere where, you know, everyone you see in the office is kind of your friend. You want to go out on the weekends and have some drinks with each other, et cetera, et cetera. When I got up to Boston, um, it was much more family oriented. Um, And really talking about what we opened the show with, talking about Tommy is a great example of that. Like there were literally people in the office in the last week or two who were crying on Zoom calls because we lost this man. I'm not sure if I would have experienced that in Orlando um, if a legend from their organization passed away. It just felt more friendly down there and more family up, up in Boston. And then really the, the, the major difference of being employed by these two places is the Orlando Magic are going to say every single year, and this is no knock on them, they're going to say every single year that they're going to 
try to compete to win a championship, we all know that the odds are stacked against that and they've never done it. Um, so really they're going to be happy making the playoffs. If they win a, a series or two in the playoffs, it's a pretty successful year. The Boston Celtics literally every year is geared toward winning a championship and, you know, made it to the conference finals three out of the last four years. It's not been a great feeling not getting to the NBA finals, right? Like everyone is unhappy with the way that that year ends when, when it ends in the conference finals, where I can tell you right now, if the Orlando Magic got to the conference finals, they'd be singing their praises and going out and, and partying it up and, and enjoying that fact. Um, and again, that's not banner. anything. Be a banner. Yeah, yeah. It's not to say anything bad about Orlando. They just don't have the history and the expectations that, that the Boston Celtics have. So that was the, the most significant cultural difference was just what are the goals here um, and how achievable are they? And, and winning a championship certainly feels more achievable with the Celtics just because of their history. And, you know, Danny Ainge has been doing this for a long time. He's already won one, almost won two as, as uh, running the show in basketball operations. And it's been a long time since the Orlando Magic were there. They did make the finals in 2009, but I think they got swept um, or maybe they lost four to one, but it wasn't very competitive. So it's been a long time for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, it's, I mean, I mean, for us as fans, I don't know if Josh agrees with this, but um, it's, it seems like the Eastern Conference Finals is a bit of our kryptonite at the moment. <laughs> we seem to be always milling there and not getting further. I think, you know, we'll touch on, you know, this year and um, the draft and stuff in a, in, a, in a bit, but, you know, I feel like this year was a great, I think, I feel like if we would have got to that finals, I do think we would have given the Lakers an absolute run for their money. Um, you know, especially, I, I, you can't really look at regular season results, but in reality, we, we, should have, we should have beaten them both times. You know, the referees didn't help us on one, did they really? Um, but um, You're right about the conference finals, though. It's, it's been, you know, three out of the last four years. Uh, in my opinion, and I'm sure some people would agree, some would not agree, this was the first time that the Celtics should have won like they were a better team and more talented team top to bottom than the Miami Heat they, they should have won that series um, they weren't entirely healthy as we know Danny Angels talked about it a little bit uh, but this is the first time that the team got to the conference finals and when they lost you're kind of like that was a missed opportunity um, the first two were kind of like overachieving teams that probably shouldn't have even been there and they were playing LeBron James and you know the, the likelihood of winning those series were not very high. This series, I, I felt like the Celtics were favored, should have won. Um, and hopefully that leaves a, a pretty nasty taste in all of these guys' mouths going into next season. And, and we'll see what happens over the next week or two, what Danny Ainge does with the roster. But hopefully it gets upgraded and they can get right back there and get over the hump next time. That feels like a really good segue, Mark, to go into um, the results of yesterday. Um, you obviously, you know, the, the, the picks, uh, you know, there's, it's been open to discussion all day in the uh, hangover to yesterday's draft, which, you know, goes on a little bit too late for our, our side of the ocean. Um, but what kind of roles do you feel each guy can play, you know, and who has a chance to really break into, ro into the rotation in your, uh, you know, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, breaking into the rotation, I think we're going to have to wait and see how the roster breaks down because it could be very different or it could be exactly the same by the time training camp starts in, you know, a week and a half, two weeks from now. Um, so we have to wait to see just how that all plays out to be able to talk about that. But I will say this about um, Aaron Neesmith. There's, there's one thing that I learned early working for the Boston Celtics, and that's there were times when Ray Allen was really hurting. Um, and he really couldn't do much for the team. But everyone used to say, if he just is in the game and stands in the corner, like they have to respect that, right? Like that, that guy will still be able to make a shot from the corner because he's that good at shooting the basketball. Aaron Neesmith is in that category. And I'm not saying he's Ray Allen, but he is a sharp shooter uh, and I think he, what did he call himself last night? I can't remember the term that he said, but a sniper. Yeah. yeah. I'm an absolute, an absolute sniper. sniper yeah. And he is, I mean, he shot 52.2% from three point range 
during his, his final season at Vanderbilt. So the guy can really shoot the basketball. So that's the type of person who just with that skill, and like I talked about with Ray Allen, you don't, he didn't need to do anything else. If he could just stand out there and make shots, that matters. Um, so I think Neesmith's got a shot at breaking into the rotation just because of that. And Peyton Pritchard, you know, I've loved this guy since I saw him play, I don't know if it was his freshman or sophomore year in the NCAA tournament. He just, um, he seems like he rises to the moment. There's no moment that's too big for him. Um, and he kind of feeds off of those moments. Um, and, you know, he shot 41.5% from three-point range last season. So clearly he can shoot the ball. He's got a little bit of Marcus Smart in him, in my opinion, with the, the kind of like nastiness that he plays with and the attitude that he plays with. So, you know, these are a couple guys who, who could wind up making an impact. Um, I never – I mean, Jason Tatum was kind of an aberration in, in the impact that he made as a rookie – um, and now we're seeing just how quickly he's risen to become a superstar. Uh, I, I would not have many expectations on these guys to come anywhere near that. I would just say that, hey, they've got these particular skill sets that if the Celtics need to call on them, they can provide some minutes. Um, but I don't expect them to, you know, be top of the rotation players as rookies. But hopefully they can provide them, you know, with a little bit of an upgrade on the fringes of the roster. Do you, do you reckon they step ahead of the likes of like Romeo and Carson? And uh, because obviously we've, we obviously we haven't seen much of them really this yeah. season. Obviously, well, been- I'll say this about about Carson. Um, I think he is. I think he has the potential to make much more of an impact than a lot of people think uh, because he wasn't on the court very much this season. But from everything that I have heard around the organization and the people who were seeing him in practices and whatnot he can play. And I think the Celtics really, really believe that he can play. Um, so we'll wind up, you know, in the long run, finding out, you know, what his role is going to be and whatnot. You can only play so many players and, and clearly the Celtics have their top five or six and they're going to eat up the majority of the minutes, but maybe he finds some minutes somewhere else. With regard to Romeo, Romeo, when he was healthy and in games, he made an impact this season. Like he, you know, I was talking to Brian Scalabrini one time, we sit next to each other at home games and Scal was basically saying he's got some Scotty Pippen in him and the way that he plays defense. Um, and Scotty Pippen's one of the best defenders to ever walk the earth. Um, and so to get that compliment um, and that slight comparison from Brian Scalabrini saying that he can defend at that level, he really can. Um, just the way that he's got his hands ready, um, he's got the agility. He can make a difference right now defensively, no questions asked. And again, talking about people that are behind the closed, closed, or behind the curtains watching closed practices, I've heard a lot of good things about the way that Romeo performed in practices. And like I said, sometimes you just don't get that opportunity to do it in games because you've got some great players ahead of you. And the Celtics were pretty stacked this year. They had five, six guys on the team that are going to eat, eat up the majority of the minutes. Uh, but if a slot opens up uh, for Romeo to play 20, 25 minutes a game. I think that he's got the talent to do it. Remember, this is a guy who, if he didn't get injured at Indiana, he would have been a top 10 pick. There's no question in my mind. So Celtics got him at 14, and I I think he's going to surprise some people, um, if not next season, then in the seasons to come. It's the same with Rob Williams as well. I mean, I I feel like he is an absolute massive potential. He's got such a great skill set. And again, we don't, obviously he's been injured a little bit this season, but we don't necessarily see a lot of him either. I, I honestly believe he could be one of the best bigs in the league. Like just, just, just the way he plays, you know, his, just his court away, his, his vision, his court awareness as well. It's, it's incredible. Um, what are your thoughts on like him, you know, in terms of him stepping up in, in, into the, more into the rotation kind of, you know, so obviously he would be, instead of at the moment, like Cantor and Tice, you know, he would come in above, above those guys. But. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know about the order. Um, I guess it, Brad always goes with what's the best matchup. Um, and, and that's really how he entered last season in, in Rob Williams was in that conversation of whoever's the best matchup is going to play, but then he got injured obviously, but we saw it toward the end of the season, um, especially in the bubble and whatnot, um, you know, with the, the 10 games or so that happened before the playoffs and even into the playoffs, he can make an impact. Um, he's a freak athlete. He does have pretty strong court awareness. Um, he's always going to be a threat 
rolling to the rim and running to the rim in transition uh, because of just how high he can jump um, and, and how long his arms are. But yeah, he's a freak athlete. And, you know, he, he certainly has a lot of potential that has yet to be fulfilled, um, but he's getting there and he's working on his game. And he had a rough start with the Celtics after he got drafted, uh, but he's really, I think he learned from guys like Al Horford and, and Aaron Baines that, you know, you come in and work your tail off, things are going to pay off. Uh, and and I, I think they're going to pay off for him in the near future. We'll see, like I said, what his role is going to be next season or this season. Uh, we're going to have to see how the roster shakes out. Um, but I, I certainly think the Celtics have high hopes for him moving forward. Yeah, some of the issues with uh, Robert have been things like kind of occasional defensive lapses, concentration. That's what people have criticized him for. But the issue is, I mean, a lot of people have the facility to be able to iron these out comfortably, you know, through continuous reps. And it's a unique scenario to be maybe in, if you're in Romeo's situation, you're coming in as a lottery pick in a contending team and you're never going to get those continuous reps to go wrong every night until you get it right. So that's what people need to remember is that it's a really unique situation for kind of top rookies to come into to be immediately expected to be part of a contending team, a cog in a contender. It's a really difficult time. But Mark, I had a question really about uh, some of these younger guys. You do have relationships, you know, professional relationships with many of the young Celtics and yet certainly in recent years. And one of the guys you've gone to bat for is someone like Grant Williams. You know, you've been an advocate for his character and you seem to kind of uh, really believe in him as a player. What do you look for in guys like Grant when they enter the organization and what makes you believe that they can be a success? Um, and I guess that relates to the guys that were drafted yesterday. Well, for Grant in particular, I, I've never met a rookie who struck me the way that he did when I first met him. You, you could just tell he is well beyond his years in terms of maturity, knowledge of the game, um, communication skills. He was, he was brought up in a situation that, that just must have been completely unique to what many of these other players go through. Um, and that prepared him for the NBA as a rookie. I mean, he, he provided the Celtics with some great minutes throughout the season. Um, in the postseason, he hit a, he was on fire from three-point range during the playoffs. Um, he certainly helped the team win a few games there. But really, you know, when the rookies are coming in, you, you really just want to see guys who are willing to listen, um, guys who are grounded and respect um, all of the people around them, and, and that being the coaches, the, the other players, the other rookies. Um, and then, obviously, it's, it's always nice when they respect the media as well. Grant, it was a home run on every single one of those pitches that were thrown to him. Um, that was a baseball analogy there. I know this is a basketball podcast, but he hit a home run on every single one of those. Um, and, and if guys can do that, it's a, just a great way to hit the ground running when they get into the NBA. I have not, I have not met Aaron Neesmith or Peyton Pritchard yet. Um, I'm looking forward to that. Hope it, hopefully happening within the next week or so. Don't know if that'll be in person because of COVID, but uh, from what I hear, those two guys are, are on the same page, um, maybe not quite on Grant's level, uh, but they're, they're really good people, they're really good leaders, and they, they work hard. Um, so those are some characteristics that you definitely want to see, see from rookies. Um, you don't want to see guys who think they're bigger than they are, or they're bigger than the game, and that success is, is going to be handed to them. No, you've got to come in and earn it. Uh, and, and that's what we saw from Grant and, and the other rookies last year as well. Excellent. Um, Nathan, I've got some silly questions. Have you got any kind of more serious questions before I take the um, pod in a strange direction? <laughs> well, I can't wait now. <laughs> no, to be fair, I think the one, one, one of the things, you know, I, I did want to ask was obviously you've interviewed so many Celtics players. So, you know, who has been your favorite player to interview you know, any, have you got any other stories that, and that you can tell us about the guys, you know, any funny stories, any serious ones where you've kind of sat there and gone, oh no, have I said something wrong? Have I, oh no. Like uh, I would assume Kevin Garnett is in this conversation. But well, you know, Kevin, KG was just unique uh, because you never knew what mood you were going to catch him in. And he's not a guy who loved talking to the media. 
<laughs> you know, when he went into the media and started doing the, uh, the KG Area 21 for TNT, I was shocked because he just never really loved being on TV or, you know, a- answering questions, asking questions. He just didn't seem to love that. So I was surprised when he did that. But KG always used to make food analogies. So, you know, if, if you asked him, hey, what, what's going to be the success to, you know, taking down the Lakers in the NBA Finals? He might answer and say, and I'm not going to do a KG impression here, but he might say, you know, you get, it's like when you walk into the kitchen and you're trying to make your best meal and, you know, you got to grab some salt, you got to grab some pepper, maybe you grab some cayenne pepper, you mix it all together and then you say, you know what, I think it needs a little sugar in there. And so you mix it up a little bit more and then you're, you're getting really close to, to, to what you need to be able to you know, have that great meal that you're looking for. And we're all just sitting there like, what is he talking about right now? <laughs> but, but this is what he used to do. You always used to make food analogies. So it was always interesting talking to KG because sometimes you just never knew if he was going to even talk to you or not. But um, one, one of my favorite guys to ever cover was Paul Pierce because he just always seemed to be in a good mood. And he was always ready, readily available as a superstar. Um, and, you know, he's been like that during his retirement. Uh, he, he was like that when he was here with the Celtics. And I'm sure he was like that with the other organizations he played for. My absolute favorite guy is Evan Turner, though, because Evan Turner was just like, it was like us talking, right? Like he, yeah. he did not care that he was a multimillionaire, number two overall draft pick, uh, really legitimate player in the NBA. He didn't care who he was. He was just that guy that wanted to hang out and talk um, in – Boy, did he have some good quotes. And I'm sure you guys have read them over the years, especially when he was with the Celtics. That guy had the funniest one-liners when he would answer questions. He always made it fun and funny uh, in a work environment. And that's not always easy because, as we know, things can get pretty serious from time to time in the NBA. You know, if you lose four in a row, everyone's stressed out, et cetera. E.T. was always in a good mood, always happy, always hilarious. And, and some of the one-liners that he, he stated will just go down in history. You could write a book about them. <laughs> but none of them necessarily come to mind right now. But I know that we could find him if we did a quick Google search. I remember he was campaigning to become the new logo. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that was like the epitome of who he is. Like he always, <laughs> he, was, he was willing to like make fun of himself kind of to have fun with it. He actually had T-shirts made, I think, of, of him as the logo. He did. He was the perfect guy for Weird Celtics Twitter, I thought. He was like, <laughs> yeah, no. he was the optimum player for Weird Celtics Twitter. <laughs> well, so other than that, I think, you know, Josh, I think you've got a couple of random questions that you want to throw in the mix. Right, and then we've, got, then we've got a couple, we've got a couple of games for you as well, Mark. Um, All right. One which is heavily based around uh, some UK, basically you, you need to guess. Actually, I'll, I'll explain in a minute. I'll let Josh fire away with some questions. Okay, right. So I reached out to some of my Boston friends um, who, you know, I said, you know, we've got Mark D'Amico in a conversation later. What would you like to ask him? And I got one extremely serious question, which was, would you rather fight a taco-sized Tremont or a Tremont-sized taco? <laughs> This is this has gone in a weird direction. <laughs> taco sized Tremont or a Tremont sized taco. I would probably say I'd rather fight a Tremont sized taco because taco is so kind hearted and I just don't I feel like he, he wouldn't even kill a fly if it landed next to him right. or landed on his head. So I feel like I'd be able to take him if if he was Tremont sized. <laughs> Tremont's got a little feistiness in him. So if you give him an extra two feet, I think that might be tough to compete with. So I'll, I'll go with the Tremont size taco. I'd have to go. I'd have to go with the taco side because, I mean, you can easy, you've easily got a shot at the low blow then, haven't you? <laughs> low blow and run. That's it. That's me. Guess game over. I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm with you, Mark. You know, the gentle giant in a smaller body is probably the better option. Um, my other question is, as well was, um, you know, I mentioned uh, before we started recording that we'd had a fleeting uh, meeting um, in a, uh, you know, in a bar somewhere near the arena. Um, what 
how are you handling the closure of the fours? I know uh, among uh, Boston media, uh, the fours is kind of a staple, um, you know, spot really. Uh, so what was your relationship with that place, which holds so much importance among kind of Celtics law? Yeah, no, I mean, I'll say this, that it wasn't even just the media. It was really the front office for years and years and years after Celtics games and particularly after Celtics games that were on the weekends, you know, Friday or Saturday night, um, almost, I mean, I would say 50 employees from the Celtics would always go over there. Um, and there were two floors of the fours. Um, and we would always have an upstairs bar area that was reserved for us um, on the second floor. And, you know, our employees were on a first name basis with the bartenders and the bartenders were on a first name basis with us. And Mike Zarin, uh, vice president of basketball operations and assistant general manager, always used to go there with his sister after games and his friends. Um, coaches used to wind up there after games. I mean, I've seen Jay Laranega there. Walter McCarty came by when he was a, an assistant coach with the Celtics. So it, it was really always just a gathering place after games where people would go. And if you won, you would talk about how great it was. And if you lost, over a couple beers, you could talk about how stressful it was and, and what might happen the next night. So, um, you know, that place closing um, definitely hit the Celtics hard because it was just always that place. Um, and now really no one knows what's going to happen. Even when we get back to working at games in the arena, if we are allowed to go to a bar, we don't even know where we're going to wind up going. So if anyone owns a bar in the TD Bank area, or in the TD Garden area, you can send us your applications and try to get all of our clientele to come to you guys and celebrate the wins and the losses uh, throughout the upcoming years. That's it, Nathan. You've got to tag uh, the harp. You've got to tag greatest bar. All those places around that spot are now going to be absolutely vying for that the, spot. The thing about those places, though, they're kind of like they're newer and they're younger. The fours was just this old school like sports memorabilia sports bar, right? It's just, it was just like different. It was chill. Um, you didn't have to worry about like music blasting in the next room. You could just chill out and talk sports and enjoy the night. So th there's not a whole lot of places like that anymore. It's, it's really sad to see these places going out of business, but maybe in the long run, you know, if, if things turn around and we get this COVID-19 pandemic under wraps, may, who knows, maybe the force can come back. Fingers crossed. So someone will invest in it. I'm sure someone in the Celtics will uh, uh, invest in it. We'll see. If I had the money, I'd invest in it. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got any more weird questions, Josh? No. Let's let's head on with the games. Right. I'm okay. going to admit those weren't as weird as I thought they would be. How weird did you think they were going to be? Where, where do you I think they were going to be gonna ten go? times weirder than that? I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to lie. The uh, Taco Tremont was like that was my limit of weirdness. So then I had okay. to ask you quite a sincere question. All right, I'll take that. Just to balance it out. <laughs> okay, so we have two games. One which is actually specially made for yourself. Wow. Josh is a... Uh, Josh, doesn't like the, Josh doesn't like to use the word rapper. He, he likes <laughs> rhymist or what, what was it used? What, what do you want to be? Okay, so... <laughs> Lyricist? The people have to forgive me on this because this is something that's kind of been bestowed on me involuntarily. But for our... We did a... Uh, NBA 2K fantasy draft with a big group of people um, and I got into the habit of making just to kind of keep it entertaining I made some little ditties to announce each of my picks and uh, you know let it be known I do not fancy myself as a rapper an MC or anything of the sort just as a disclaimer but that being said you know I think the game is that Nathan I think the game that you intended was that I I say a rhyme and I want Mark to finish off uh, the rhyme um, you know, it's basically to satisfy Nathan. So if I start a rhyme in relation to a player, you have to finish off the rhyme by naming the player. Is that right, Nathan? Is that where we're going? That, that is correct. That is correct. So Josh is going to do the rhyme and then the final word or uh, the final word will be a player. So you have to guess okay. what player he was uh, rhyming about. Okay. okay. And just to become even more ambitious, I've gone full names, Mark. So it's the full name of the player. Okay. which made it much harder to rhyme. But here we go. <laughs> so the name of the player is going to rhyme with your rhyme. Yeah, you have to end it. You know, you have to end my... Josh will do his rhyme. Josh will do his rhyme and then you'll end it with the player who you think he's rhyming about. 
He's got it. Okay. okay, here we go. A huge set of skills, and you can't debate them. He's a future MVP. It's Jason Tatum. Yes, there we go. One in the bag. There's an all-star spot, and he's nailing it down. Raining from ATL, it's... Jalen Brown. A lethal step back on the court, and he's a talker from the Bronx with love. The name is... Kemba Walker. Okay, so I'm going to get a little bit more complex now. Those were the okay. easy warm-up. Right. <laughs> and I hope that you're impressed by my rhyming skills here. No, it's been great so far. I, mean, I want to buy an album. Mixtapes drop in 2021. So. <laughs> yeah. He'll bump your bigs in the post with no delay. Today's a big day for... Jemmy Ojale. There we go. He'll All bump right. your bigs in the post with no delay. Today's a big day for Semi Ojale. Okay. He flies you, through... You went with the bigs, so that threw me off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of just referencing the fact that nobody can go through. I like it. <laughs> I like it. I figured it out. It just took me a second. The walk-in refrigerator. <laughs> he flies through the air wearing 43. From Virginia, it's... Javante Green. Well done on getting that, because as I was reading it, I was thinking, that is the poorest of them all. <laughs> here's, here's the final one, Mark. Um, if he'll play a big part, he's holding the answers. The new Albany native, it's... Dennis Cantor. No, but that's so much better than what I actually have. <laughs> Say it again. If he'll play a big part, he's holding the answers. The new Albany native, it's... I don't know. Romeo Langford. Romeo Langford. Oh, you got all of them except for the last one. It's, it's <laughs> well, an extremely, I'm... extremely loose rhyme. I'll give you that, Mark. Well, the problem was that two of them rhymed with it. That's true. <laughs> but I, I should have known where it was from. So there we go. That is, that is Josh's uh, rhyming. I like it. That was a good segment. game. I hope you're satisfied, Nathan. I mean, to be fair, it's probably one of the most enjoyable games I've had on the podcast, really. So <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. I th I mean, Hopefully I didn't make myself look bad. <laughs> no, you didn't. To be fair, you did very, very well. And I think, you know, it's going to sound even better as well, Josh, because I will put a little bit of a beat to it in post-production. <laughs> so you're going to have a little bit of a little bit of jazz behind it. I might throw in a Kanye West, uh, you know, there you go. voice, voice sense of all those things that goes, it does all that weird stuff, but. Oh yeah, please. Yeah. Auto-tune. <laughs> so I think we might need it. <laughs> right. So the final game is we played this. So I, I played this with Gordon, Sam, Vinny, all the American guys. And it's basically UK words, but you have to guess what they mean, essentially, in, in, okay. in the US. Now, I have changed them up a bit because uh, I had a few in there. Well, basically, I, I've been repetitive with them, and I think that's a bit lazy for myself. So <laughs> we've got some new ones. Okay. And we'll run through them. There's quite a few, so I won't give you them all, but we'll see how we go. Um, okay. But what I will start with is a phrase. It's one which Gordon, Sem, and Vin didn't have a clue did not have a clue um and in england we say arse over tip now i can put it in a sentence for you okay if you need it so the I phrase is arse over tip do you need a phrase yeah, you, I, I need it in a phrase okay in a sentence right say so i would say right i'm walking down the street and i just seen someone uh, go arse over tip Is it, is it someone maybe that you know, but you haven't seen in a while and you want to go say what's up to them? No, it means basically, it, do, you want, do you want one more guess? We'll give you one more guess. I, I don't there's know a, if I There's a clue. Guess. There's a clue, I think. There's a clue in that sentence. In, in, in the ass, ass, tit, tit. Those are the words in the phrase. So ass goes over your tit. What an unbelievable conversation to be having with a professional broadcaster. <laughs> I'm 
I'm lost. I got nothing. It. It'll have a little bit of fun to it. Basically, it I means falling over. Nothing. It means falling over. So someone is, you know, okay. Glass over okay. They've fallen over. That's just a complete stupid okay. British way of. I have no idea where it even stemmed from, to be honest with you, but it's absolutely mental. <laughs> okay, right. We'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you another one. Knackered. Knackered? Yeah, knackered. Give me the phrase. Give me a sentence. So, mm, so, there's two, so this means two things in the UK. So I'll give you one of Wait, them. one guess without a phrase. Drunk. No. No. no? It's a good, to be fair, it's a good, it's a good guess, to be fair, but okay. um, how, how, how would you put it, Josh? Because obviously okay. there's, two, there's two ways of saying this, really, isn't there? Right, okay. So uh, when I was, I'm Mark D'Amico, and when I was covering the uh, 2010 NBA Finals, I was staying up late nights covering the game, and I was absolutely knackered. Um, you were tired? Yep, there, there we go. go. That's, that's one way. That's one way of saying it. <laughs> yes. We'll move on. So we've got dodgy. Dodgy. That that means um, I've heard this used before. Um, like a little bit like sketchy, kind of like. Yeah. Yeah, we'll give you that. It's basically yeah, like, it's suspicious. But uh, yeah, like after I get off the call, you guys are gonna say he seemed a little dodgy. Yeah. To be fair, yeah. I will give you that. There we go. You're doing very well. You're doing better than, than all the other guys have done. Here's another example, Mark. Uh, I was on a Zoom call with two British guys and their rhyming was dodgy. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say it. You said it, but... Okay. So the next one we've got is having a mare. I'm going to need a phrase. So to put into a sentence, I would probably say... Oh, Josh, with his rhyming, he's having a mare. <laughs> mm, is it like having trouble? Yeah, yeah, not, I think that's like trouble nightmare. Well? It's like trouble nightmare kind of thing. Like he's having an absolute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Only joking, Josh. You're a, you're an Eminem in disguise. Um, what did I sign up to? <laughs> okay, so we've got another one. Uh, this is quite a simple one, I think. And I don't think you guys in America use it. I'm pretty sure you definitely don't. But the word is bin. Bitten or bin? Bin. B-I-N. Bin. I have not heard that one. Give me a sentence. I'm going to throw something in the bin. You're going to throw something in the bin? Trash? Yeah, there we go. Too fake. Man, you're doing so well at The this. bin is the trash can. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So that's, what we call, that's what we call a trash can over here. Okay. That's one of the ways that I have been lost in translation in, <laughs> in the US. Because where is the bin? Nobody knows. And we yeah. also, you know, oh, sorry, I might tread on one of the questions here. Wow, well, I was going to say, you are going to tread on it because the next the one, it's not, it's, not that, it's not what you're thinking, Josh, but it's something to do with that. So the next one is bog roll. Bog roll? Bog roll, yeah. I got no idea. Basically, it's, it's toilet roll. <laughs> oh, yeah. I never would have gotten that. <laughs> um, and we'll give, you, we'll give you one more. We'll give you one more. Okay. And we've got gobbledygook. Gobbledygook. I've heard this, but I'm going to need a sentence to, to clarify my thoughts here. Give me a good sentence. So, we could say... <laughs> Josh, go on, get, 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 give a sentence, go for it. Oh, I was laughing because I thought you were just going to say when Josh was doing his rhyming game, it was all a little <laughs> gobbledygook. <laughs> the, the thought went through my head, but I thought, no, I better, I better not do that. I would say in a sentence that, you know, you, you're talking to someone and they're talking gobbledygook. They're not making any sense. Yeah, nonsense. Basically, they're speaking nonsense. Okay. Mumbo-jumbo. Yeah, <laughs> mumbo-jumbo, yeah, exactly that. Do you feel, I've got so many more. We could, we could probably stay here for hours doing that, but I know uh, you're a busy, busy guy. That was respectable by me, right? Like, I think I performed yeah. at a pretty decent level in these two games. To be fair, you've done, yeah, you've done very, very well. I mean, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some beating. I mean, we've got, I've got uh, 
uh, Herco coming on, Alex Herco coming on uh, soon. So he's pretty uh, good at this stuff. Well, to be fair, I stayed with him when I come over to come over to Boston, and if you heard his British accent, ask, no. him, to, ask him to do it. But he loves it. When I was there with him, I stayed with him for what three days. I swear to God, eighty percent of the time he's tried to speak in a British accent, and it just it was every morning it was I, like I hello, can only mate. British accent with one word. What's that? Hello. It's it's a silent age. Hello. <laughs> hello, love. Yeah, um, years ago, you know, I I went traveling across the States at the kind of um, prime of the movie uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And, you know, the Russell Brand character is this kind of horrendous, stereotypical British rock star. And uh, all I heard from the space of kind of three months, people would just come up to me and say, you sound like you're from London. <laughs> no. Oh, no. Unbearable. But to borrow another British colloquialism, uh, Mark, you absolutely smashed it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you guys for having me on again. It's been a lot of fun and hopefully we can do it again in the future. <laughs> anyway, Mark, really, really appreciate your time. And, you know, I'd love to have you back on. We'll get Josh back on next time you're on as well. And we'll get some more rhymes in, no doubt. Um, I'll try and make, well, Josh is going to make them 100% harder next time. It, it's going to be a full verse. It's going to be mixes and everything. It's even going to have a backing track. We'll get some backing singers in. Like, it'll be absolutely carnage. But I like it. Anyway, really, really appreciate your time, man. And Josh, thank you so much for coming on. And yeah, guys, that is it. That is, that is the episode done of this week's That UK Celtics podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember to subscribe, like, share the pod anywhere you can. It's only ever going to help me. And yeah, guys, thank you very much. Appreciate it.